Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I would like to thank today's sponsor. We have a friend um, to those of us in recovery in uh, Shannon S. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for sponsoring an episode um, in honor of another uh, previous guest, Courtney. So if you haven't caught that episode, be sure to go back and and catch up. Courtney has a great story, and she uh, loves to share her experience, strength, and hope. So without further ado, today we have Miss Lori on the show. Um, and you are, you're hailing from Wisconsin, right? Did I get that right? Janesville, Wisconsin. Yes, ma'am. Is it kind of cold there right now? Kind of, but it's not too bad. We usually have all that white crap on the ground by now, and for the last couple of years, we have not. Really? So, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. We're doing, we're doing all right. Doing we're doing all right. right. That's I'm, good. I'm taking it. Yeah, I'm see, I don't, I don't mind that that white stuff every now and then. Of course, I'm, d- I'm down in Waco, Texas. So you, yeah, so you, it'll melt. Well, you know what? What happens here is we get ice. I mean, we don't get the pretty snow and you clear off the road. No, we get ice, and you don't want to be around us people when there's ice on the ground because we just oh, yeah. we never have an opportunity to drive in this. So we start to think that we anyway. It, it, that's a Jerry Springer show right there in um, Tennessee. That's called a Kroger, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you have the store coming in or the storm coming in, you get to Kroger. That's right. Because you're gonna be shut that's down right. for a week yeah. or so. Yep. Yeah, well, and that's the the super WalMarts around. I can see it from from where I'm record. We're recording this, but yeah, it, it we go nutso in that kind of weather. So anyway, um, Lori, thank you for coming on to talk to me. Um, on the show, we just share our experience, strength, and hope with the with, you know so that we can reach that person who is still suffering from the disease of addiction. Um, And Mm -hmm. you know, what I've found is it's really been a blessing because this is actually episode 41 um, that that a lot of normies listen to this show, a lot of family members and stuff like that. So it really helps them to get a different perspective on on their loved one that's in addiction as well. So without further ado, Miss Thang, I would love to hear your story and what brought you into recovery um, and all of your experience, strength, and hope. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Well, I can I can just start off with uh, my name is Lori, and I always give my last name, and here's why, because if somebody needs help, I want them to be able to find me. Yep, so me my name well. is Lori, mm-hmm. Lori Sheets Blank, and I live in Janesville, Wisconsin. My sobriety date is May 15th, 1993. So, um, congratulations. Uh, thanks. I, um, you know, it, it, I drank 
I got drunk, I fell down and I realized I had a problem sooner or later and I didn't didn't get help for it for a long time. Um, I, I can remember my, I can remember drinking at a very, my dad was a German immigrant and so there was always beer in the house and I always thought the foam on the beer was so cool. So he'd always let me slurp the foam off the beer. Hello. And I can remember that doing that. I mean, there's pictures of me doing it and I have a diaper on. Wow. So, I mean, it was just, it was the normal thing. Um, so um, I can remember my parents got divorced at a very young age. I remember a lot of drinking in the family, in the house. Um, we'd go to parties, you know, family parties, get togethers, a lot of drinking, fighting, all that kind of stuff, which I didn't think it was a big deal. You know, I, and I also noticed I didn't have friends over at my house. Now, were, you, always, were you an only <laughs> child? No. Okay. Um, I have a, um, I have two older brothers, one that I was raised with and one that I was not. Um, the one that I was not is quite a bit older. I think he's about 15 years older than me. And then the other brother is uh, four and a half years older than me. Okay. okay. So, um, you know, it was just a lot of yelling, a lot of fighting. It was just how the house was. And so um, my parents got divorced at a young age. So my mom was working second shift and we would have um, a, a babysitter that came in in the evening and she was really cool, really pretty. She had a, a younger son that came with her. He was a toddler and um, she smoked pot. So she apparently thought it'd be cool to get a seven-year-old high. Oh, wow. There it began. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm already drinking the beer because I'm, it's not a big deal. And now the babysitter's getting the seven-year-old high because it's funny to watch a seven-year-old high. And so it was drugs and alcohol were just normal. It was just normal. Mm -hmm. um, so we moved into, my, my mom moved into another house the child care was discontinuing rapidly um, because my mom would come home probably intoxicated. I don't really know. I was so young. But again, I was always the child that was going to other people's homes, you know, and I can re I can remember going to this one house being babysat. And um, this was really weird, but I can vividly I can remember them saying to me, how would you like to live with us? And I, I'm young and, you know, there, there was no yelling and screaming. And I thought, well, that'd be really cool. But my brother, you know, we'll both live here. Right. And they said, no, it would just be you. And I said, I don't think I would like that too much because it just would be, you know, I, I felt my little spidey senses were up. It was like, this is a little weird. Well, shortly after that, I was no longer going over to that house to be babysat. So as an adult and having that recall, I was like, I wonder if they were calling Child Protective Services and they were getting ready to take me in and maybe parents or mom decided, oh, you're not going there no more because, mm -hmm. you know. What do we do when somebody calls us out on our alcohol or drug use? Cut so, them out. Yep. Cut <laughs> them out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You're dead to me. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I know I, that happened a couple of different times um, in my childhood with babysitters. So I, I'm thinking that that's where that was at. Anyway, um, so life progresses. I'm in school, you know, um, and I'm hanging out with the people that I'm, you know, who do we hang out with? Mm-hmm. We hang out with birds of a feather, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm hanging out with other kids that are doing drugs and drinking. And my house was the party house because, you know, um, when you're being raised by somebody who drinks, drinking with them, you know, my mom, she was all right with it. So there was, I drank in the house. I did drugs in the house. It was just, it was life. That was just how life was. And then I started noticing when I got into middle school and later, my friends are all going to treatment. What the hell? (laughs) Why? Why? You know, because the parents were swooping them and putting them into treatment. I wasn't going to treatment. I was kind of intrigued about all this. Well, what's treatment? You know, what do you guys do there? And um, I can remember one of my, um, one friend that got out of treatment, their mom found their, uh, their glass bong. Remember those glass bongs? (laughs) (laughs) So she took it, put it in the sink and I guess smashed it. And we were all like, Oh, that sucks. No more bong hits, you know? Oh, bummer. So yeah, um, I progressed and I think about, what was I? 14? I think I was about 14 or 15 years old. I was introduced to cocaine. Oh, wow. And that that was nice mm-hmm. because then I could drink longer and, you know, it was just the progression. It was just, it was my norm. Um, you know, doing acid for the, at, at a party over the weekend. It was normal. I didn't, it. now I will say this. I was not raised in a Christian home. However, how God worked in my life was I always had a Christian family close by my house that ended up taking me to church. And I learned about God, who I choose to call my higher power. Mm -hmm. And so at a very young age, I also had my first spiritual experience. I was camping and I can remember this vividly. I was camping and there had been some rain and there was this, I don't know if, so there there was a slide and they had those like monkey bar things that came up and arched over and yeah. you climbed up yeah. and dome over it. Yeah. So you, yeah. We might be in the same age. I think so. <laughs> and, then, and then you can slide down the big fat slide that you burn your ass on when it's hot out, you know? Yep. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the sky just kind of opened up and like sunlight just came down and I'm sitting there looking at that. And I can remember looking at it and going, Everything's going to be all right. And I was young. How I old was were you? Young. Let's see. It was out camping, and I quit doing that when I was about 10. So I was probably about eight or nine. Oh, wow. And I, you know, it was just planted in my head because I'm a firm believer that we will have things planted into our head for that recall eventually in sure. life. 
And I can remember seeing the sun come down, you know, after a rain, how it just kind of peeks through the clouds and it just comes. And I just thought there, that's gotta be God. And, you know, so then I ended up with another family when we moved another family and I recently got in touch with them. I've been able to actually write letters and thank people that have done the, the homes where they ex where I got to experience that actual family love. And so there was another family and they took me to church. And when I earlier from that point, even there was a family across the street. And when things would get crazy at the house, I would call them and they'd come run over to the house to get the fighting to stop and stuff. So on a long tangent throughout all of this, you know, I always wanted to change my perception of reality. So the drugs and alcohol, no matter if I like them or not, changed my perception of reality. I smoked pot, but I hated smoking pot. Hated it. Couldn't stand the way I felt. Nothing. But it changed my perception of reality. Mm -hmm. So whatever I could get my hands on to change my perception of reality, I would do it. So long story short, or long, however you choose to look at it, I'm using, I'm drinking, so on and so forth. and. Um, I, I think I was about 14 or 15 years old and somebody was in treatment and I attended an AA meeting at the treatment center and it was in Rockford, Rockford, Illinois. And, um, when I heard everybody talking, I always knew that something was wrong. Blackouts, you know, why didn't I remember, why can't I remember some, some stuff that happened yesterday? Or why can't I remember this or that, you know? And nobody ever explained to me what that was. I just thought that's just, that just sucks. I can't remember part of the day because I was young. So when I went to this meeting and I learned uh, about what that was, I thought, oh my gosh, they're talking about me. That's crazy, you know? And of course, I'm not going to stop or anything like that. So um, I still had the parties. I mean, my experience was bad. I can't say it was bad because all of our experiences were bad. Mm. But I can remember one of the times having a party at my house because my house was the weekend party spot. And one of the times um, I got so bad that they put me in another room and thought maybe, and this was at my own house. Um, they, they figured if they would just put me in the other room, I'd be okay. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody tried to come in there to take advantage of me or what, but there was apparent what looks like some type of a struggle because there was a, um, they found me in the living room without any clothes on a lamp was knocked over and I'm not sure if a chair was knocked over or not, but it looked like a struggle. Mm. So they found me, put me back in the in the room, and I guess I passed out for the rest of the night. And then I was told about what had happened the next morning. Well, you know, I, that didn't even make me think I needed to probably quit. I knew that there was a problem, but I I just was not I wasn't going to give it up yet. Mm -hmm. So you know, I just won't show my face around those people for a while and maybe whoever saw me will just kind of forget about it. 
But here I am 38 years later and I didn't forget about it. And I share it because if somebody else is there, you know, look at that. It can, mm-hmm. you can't get better. So um, fast forward, I ended up meeting, running into a guy and um, we, I, we were, we knew each other in high school and um, he used to walk me home occasionally because um, the boyfriend that I had in high school was physically abusive and um, it was, it was bad. There were times um, my senior year of high school, I, I went to school with a cast on my face because this right here, it looks okay, doesn't it? Cause it's reconstructed. <laughs> so, you know, and even then that was just normal, you know, he, he just did it because he loves me so much. Cause that was just what I learned. And so anyway, this boy that used to walk me home, we ended up meeting up and, um, we started dating and later we got married and I'm still drinking. I get a DUI because he was the designated driver. And when we got out to the car, now notice how I just said that I got a DUI because he was the designated driver. <laughs> Not because I was shit-faced or anything, behind the wheel, but because he was designated driver. Anyway, we get done partying that night. We go out to the car, and he can't figure out how to open the door. And I'm figuring, well, I can at least get the key in the in the, you know, I can put it in the keyhole to unlock the door. So I should probably drive. Rational thinking. <laughs> Yes, rational thinking. <laughs> I can at least manage the key in the keyhole. So um, I ended up getting my first DUI. And then I went to those classes that they make you take. And um, that's when I learned that my liver was probably getting ready to take crap on me. Mm. Because when you drink, your liver takes care of those toxins. Mm-hmm. And when you go into a blackout, your liver can't handle taking out those toxins anymore you you drank too fast drank too much whatever the case may be but the liver is like nope i'm done i i'm on overload i'm getting i'm working overtime and i'm not getting paid so i'm Mm -hmm. done Mm -hmm. so when the teacher was talking about this and he was talking about the progression and how you have such a high tolerance and then all of a sudden your tolerance bottoms out and you can become intoxicated after just a few drinks. And I was like, wait a minute. I used to be able to drink most guys under the table. Now, after a few drinks, I'm drunk. And so I asked. So um, a friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Used to drink a lot. And they would be just fine. And now after a few drinks, they get pretty buzzed. They're pretty, they get drunk. And he stopped what he was doing, looked me straight in the face and said, tell your friend their liver's shutting down. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'll be sure to tell her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still didn't quit. Mm-hmm. So um, I just kept going and I never lost anything. I wrecked a car. I worked. I bought another one. You know, I hit a mailbox one time, which I guess you could get in a lot of trouble for. 
okay, I fixed my car, repaired the damage and kept going. I, I just, it was just life. Mm -hmm. And then, um, my boyfriend and I, he was my boyfriend at the time we did get married. We were out at this bar and I'm looking at my, and I had tried to quit drinking numerous times. I had tried because I thought something's just got to be these blackouts and stuff. Other people aren't drinking like this. And I would try. And because I had been introduced to um, a 12 step recovery, I had gone and I had like a few months here, a few months there, eight months here, nine months there. I, so, you know, if I can sober up for that amount of time and if I can abstain from alcohol and drugs for that amount of time, there can't be a problem because people that have those problems can't, they can't quit mm -hmm. ever. <clears throat> so I would just go in and out. And um, we were, we were at this bar and I'm watching everybody. And it's, it was a perfect, perfect setup. I'm sitting at this table across from me as a mirror. I've got my, my bottle of beer in my hand and I'm looking at the beer and they're, you know, come on, Lori, come on, go dance. Let's, you know, let's go dance. Okay. Okay. Cause you know, I got to prime up. Mm -hmm. I, I have to do this stuff uh, with just me. So I am looking at this, this beer and I'm watching everybody out there having fun and having a good time. I'm looking at the beer and I'm watching them. I'm looking at the beer and I got pissed. I got just so mad because I thought to myself, what is it about this that makes me not able to go do that without this? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, what can I do without this? Can I do anything without this? Can I have a day of being happy without this? Can I have a day of being sad without this? Can I do anything without this? And it bought that. I just, it, it made me mad. And then it all just kind of clicked. And I thought, wow, I've got a, I've got a problem. I can't even, I don't even know who I am. So I don't know anything. I don't know how to be sad. I don't know how to be mad. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do anything without this. So I drank, didn't get drunk because my whole night, you know, I, I'm in my head about this now, but I knew what I had to do. So I continued to, to have fun with everybody and I drank and all that kind of stuff and, and played it off and had a good time. And on the way home, I told my boyfriend, um, I said, you know, I'm going to quit drinking. And he looked at me and started laughing. And he said, yeah, right. You right. Sure. You are. I said, no, really. I, I am. I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Okay. Lori. Well, I took that as a challenge. <laughs> And it was the perfect challenge at the perfect time because that was May 14th of 1993. Wow. So the next day, um, I went on some, I don't know how I found it, but I went to, um, I went to a 12 step meeting, a recovery group. And when I went in there, um, 
I told people, you know, that it was my first time there and I was new to the city and so on and so forth. And it was the worst experience of my life. I was, um, no one introduced themselves to me. Nobody came up and talked to me after the meeting. Nothing. And I am such an advocate. I mean, if there is some, if there is somebody new in a group, I will, I don't care if you like me. I don't care. I don't care, but I'm going to make sure that I introduce myself. to you. Yeah. That's not the norm for, for groups. Right. That's a shame. And this was, you know, well, it was what it needed to be because um, I was working in a bar at the time and I was a, um, a waitress and a bartender. And I continued to do that for the first two years of my recovery. And it was fine. But what it ended up doing was I ended up going into um, finding churches. And I, I found a church that I absolutely love. And so for the first 12 years of um, me being clean and sober, I was in a church. I didn't attend 12-step groups. I didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember after 12 years, I went, um, I had found a, a place that I liked to go to. And I went and got a coin. That was my first, the first coin I got was a 12-year coin. And uh, then I started to frequent this place and made some friends because I had made some friends um, through church that knew about um, different recovery groups and such. And so um, I continued to do that. And then, um, you know, I started noticing more and more where people would stay and go, stay and go, stay and go. And it, it really broke my heart because it was like, you know, what, what's going on here? Um, so there was this, um, G, so we have a GM plan here in our town, had a GM plan. And my husband, um, who was drinking, he was still drinking. He was working at um, a provider for the GM plant. So when when GM shut down here and the other plant, Lear, shut down as well, our finances took a hit. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I had always wanted to be a substance abuse counselor. So I um, became, became a substance abuse counselor and got my um, substance abuse counselor in training license. So I started working at a rehab and I loved it. So now this is 2008, 2000, 2009, 2007. Okay. So in recovery, it is not always a bed of roses. I have experienced loss. I have experienced a house fire. I have experienced all. So I was separated. Um, probably would have gotten divorced, um, but he passed away before that could happen. So, I mean, it was just, just a rash of stuff. So I started going back to 12-step recovery and I started finding a, a really good group of people. And so when my husband lost his job and I had already been in the process of wanting to becoming a substance abuse counselor, I got a job at um, a rehab here in town. Loved it. Absolutely loved that job. 
and um, just loved helping the people. I, I was running a primary house where people were coming in, you know, um, sick, really reminding me of how bad things can be. Mm. And um, I just, lo- I loved it. I used to, um, I used to say, I used to call on the weekends when I wasn't working just to see how my people, and that's what I would say, how are my people doing? And so the, it, they ended up finding out that I was calling and, and saying that. So then I acquired the nickname of Mama Peeps. <laughs> so I'd show up and they'd be like, hey, Mama Peeps, how's it going? Which I thought it was just funny, but I just loved that connection, you know? And um, then my husband passed away in 2010. We had begun proceedings for a legal separation in 2000, October of 2009. And then in February of 2010, he passed away. So now I'm in this town where I have my core group of, of people that I had met um, in recovery so I could really lean on them. And then it also made me realize why I was so active in my church. And that was because those were the people that really loved on me when all of that happened. So through all of that, I never had to drink. I never had to use drugs. I I didn't have to do any of that stuff, you know, because I had all of that support. And that really um, put in that foundation for me of my higher power. Mm. Um, Um, So I'm trying not to get um, to where it's like I'm jumping around, but you know how I I can do that. I just, then this happened and then that happened. So when my husband passed away, um, being the good um, addict alcoholic that I am, I tried to find other ways to make myself happy. And with that, I started dating when I shouldn't have been dating. Um, I got involved and I should have never done that. I should have focused wholly on um, getting through my time with my children. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the regrets that I have in recovery because I really should have focused on my kids. But even in sobriety, you know, we aren't perfect and we mess up. And so, you know, my kids are great. Everybody's doing great. We have, we have moved forward. Um, We, we really came together for a time um, and then we had another blow four years later, um, their grandfather who basically had stepped in and helped me to raise them. He ended up unexpectedly passing away. And I mean, you know, we really came together as a family and that was in 2014. And my father-in-law used to say to me all the time, you guys are a team. Always remember that you guys are a team. So in 2014, after he passed away, we just came together and we took a two-week trip, went on a cruise, went to Florida. We just shut out the outside world and just took took care of us, which was really cool because we all got to grow, you know, 
And in sobriety, growth, I think, is just so important because if you don't grow and you become complacent, mm-hmm. I think that's when, I think that's when, yes. Yeah. Very and I see that more and more and more now where people are, you know, so I did continue to do the substance abuse counseling and um, I gave it up after my husband passed away. And I have gotten back to it now, um, but I just—it just blows my mind sometimes when when relapse happens. Mm. And so I've really started to try to figure out why is this happening. I mean, you have to see it where places where you go. Why do you think it happens? People quit doing what they needed to do to get into recovery to begin with. Period. You know, it's one of those things where I know that, and I'm, I was actually having a, 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 a friendly debate with a, a sister on, on one of the Facebook pages. It's one of those things that, here's the deal. I know a lot of people who have gotten sober without, for instance, AA or, or a 12-step program. I know a lot of people have gotten sober. Um, but I don't know a single person who has worked the 12 steps that were originated 88 years ago. I don't know a single person after all March will be 12. I'll be 12. Um, that has worked the steps that has not remained in recovery period. This is the, the when, when 100, 100% of the time someone has relapsed and comes back into the room and you go, what happened? I quit going to meetings. I quit talking to a sponsor. I quit being of service to others. I quit. I quit. I quit. There's your aunt, and and I think I think Lori. I think we make it so complicated. And like I said, for me, there's a huge difference between sobriety mm-hmm. and recovery. Right? I don't want to be sober. See, and that's where that's where I say to me. There's a huge difference between, and we're probably saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference in being sober, and there's a huge difference in living in living in sobriety. Same, yeah. Which I just choose to call reco- recover. Right. Our book. Right. Our book says we have recovered from right. a hopeless state. Right. You know, but, but it's it, when when you you know it's it's just like when you're married. You know, you can look up after, you know, my husband and I, after 20 years of marriage and things are stale and you go, okay, well, what, you know, something's wrong. Well, when's the last time I, I just did something for him just because, or when's the last time I called him and just said, you know what? I think you're awesome. See ya. Have a great day. Bye. When's the last time I quit? When did I quit doing what I did to get him in my life to begin with? Same thing with recovery. Same thing with anything in life. When you quit doing the things that got you into a beautiful state, the beautiful state goes away, you know? And and so that's why this is a program of, for me, the program of recovery, whether it be Celebrate Recovery, however you get there, when you stop doing what helped you get out of self, the demons come back. They come back. They're not dead. My demons are not dead. I can assure you my demons are not dead. I go a week and a half without a meeting, honey. I grow horns, you know, and, and people are going, who are you and what is going on? You know, it's like, because I haven't, I I'm back into myself. And when I'm in myself, oh honey, I don't care about you. That that's just my human nature. 
when I'm so obsessed with myself, I can't possibly be of use to you or anyone else. Yeah. What do you, why do you think people relapse? I think that lots of times I agree with, with what you said. And I also think that people get into recovery and they become complacent. They become stagnant. They go to their meetings. They talk to their sponsor. They, they do A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, over and over Checking and over. Mm -hmm. And then finally, what I have heard often, I got bored. I, I got sick and tired of hearing the same people say the same thing over and over and over again. And that started to just baffle me because, <clears throat> and what I had to learn was everybody's different. People are all different. So for myself, when I got into recovery, I wanted more. I wanted more. I, my addictive personality is not just, I just want a little, I want more. So in recovery, okay. I want more of this. That feels good. I want more of this. I want more of this. I, I have an addictive personality. You cannot have Oreos in my house mm -mm. because I will eat one Oreo and then I will eat the whole package. Mm -hmm. I have finally come to the bargaining chip of if I get a package of Oreos, I'll just eat one row at a time. <laughs> <laughs> just like we only used to drink or try to drink on a uh, girl. But, but you know what, but see, but see, Lori, there's a fine line because you, oh, at the beginning of the show, what was it you said about growth? You know, and, well, that's my point. It's, it's like that is my point. wanting more. Does not necessarily mean it's a bad thing? You know, because if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. So, and so, that, that is, that is exactly my point. Right. The complacency. Yes. Cause complacency will kill. Mm -hmm. And I just got to a point in sobriety where it was just like, where I want more, I want more of the good stuff. Mm -hmm. I want more of the sobriety mm -hmm. and like you have purpose-driven sobriety. And I started a, a, a thing with not to do a plug or anything like that, but I started, started doing sobriety with purpose, mm -hmm. same type of thing. I didn't just get sober to just have sobriety. I want to live in sobriety. Mm -hmm. I want to do this stuff. And then, so that made me really have to look at, okay, I've had all of these years sober and I'm watching people go in and out, in and out, in and out. What is going on? Are people even really finding out what the definition of happiness is for them? Because ever recovery is not a cookie cutter process. Mm -hmm. It is not just stamped and everybody gets the same thing over and over and over again. We all have so many different things that we have to go through. I mean, I have seen people have 20 years in recovery and the next thing you know, they are losing their mind mm -hmm. or they're being, you know, they're allowing treatment that they shouldn't allow because they just don't know any better. And I love 12 step recovery, 100%, 100% love 12 step recovery. But you even said yourself, I become selfish and self-centered. I sometimes believe that people think when they're thinking of themselves, they start thinking that that's wrong and that 
that means they're becoming selfish and self-centered. I have a woman who I started talking to. She lost her daughter, lost her daughter. And because she wanted to do something, she then started saying, oh, but I'm being selfish and self-centered. I'm being selfish and self-centered. And I just was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, I'm only thinking of me if I do this. Honey, you're grieving. You can think of you. Yeah, that's self-care. There's such a thing as self-care that, yeah, if, if yeah, you have to. Well, and that's, that is, and you're right, there is a double-edged sword because we, we, we say that there's, that this is not a selfish program, but then in the same breath, we say tune your entire world out and focus on yourself. So it's like, okay, well, which, well, you know, the, the steps are numbered for a reason. But, but, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you have to, I think when you, when you're faced with that type of situation, you have to look behind the curtain and say, okay, what's the motive? Is this self, is this self care or is this selfish? I think there's a huge difference. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, and that's where I, when people just are in recovery and all of the, all they are, another back up my brain's thinking faster than my mouth can work like you had just said with the self-care and being selfish you know what is the usually what's our motivation when we get into recovery lots of times it's because something happened something bad happened Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we get in there and it's like okay i'm fixing this i'm fixing that i'm fixing this okay i'm good now what and no one ever shows them the now what? Okay, well, it doesn't. You don't just have to punch a clock, go to work, go to meetings, and go home. There's, a, you know, find out where you're happy. What what makes you happy? Mm-hmm. What are the interests that you want to do? Maybe you want to start a new job. Maybe you want to do this. Maybe you want to do that. But sometimes I feel like in recovery we get so busy beating ourselves up that we don't put the sledgehammer down and continue to see, like you said, to be of service. Mm-hmm. I want to be of service. I want to be of service doing something that I like doing. You know, I want to, I want to have a grateful heart when I'm being of service. I want to be able to do those things that, that light me on fire because I think that if I'm doing something that makes me happy, I'll continue to do it more and more and more. Mm-hmm like reaching out to the to the newcomer reaching out to making making sure that people know where you're coming from so that way you can help more people mm-hmm. you know finding out what where your desires are so you can continue on that path now you've even got more motivation to stay sober because you're not going to be able to do that if you're using you're not going to be able to accomplish those things if you're drinking or sitting in a bar, you know, to find that motivation to keep going. So often people get into recovery and then they're just kind of let down, not let down because of other people, but let down because they don't realize how much more there is to having life and sobriety. Well, and the that, people, the people that I've seen it, it, that are exactly what you just described haven't worked the steps. They, they get, they get through, they get through a certain number and they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not drinking. Nobody's mad at me. I'm feeling relatively confident. And then they stop. You know, it's one of those things that, 
that, you know, it, it, step 12 says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, as the, not a result, as the result, that's the one right. result, having had a spiritual spirit. And, and once you have had a, a spiritual awakening in that sense, which is near guaranteed when you have worked all 12 of those steps, honestly, and, and, and the way, the way it's prescribed from 88 years ago, um, it's, it, it, those are, there are, I know many, many people who, who, who just, they get good and they're good. And then they blame the program for not working. Right. Right. Again, I've, how about this one? How about this one? A character defect. That's my character defect. You just have to accept it. Hmm. Okay. Well, and it's as soon as you, as soon as you've had, and that's what, that's what we tell people, you know, as soon as you've had enough misery, we're, we're still going to be here. There's still, and, right. and that's what, man, I'm so, I'm so stinking grateful to have, to have this, you know, to have a program, have my community, you know, to be able to go anywhere in the world and find my people, you know, on a cruise ship or in, uh, you know, Alaska or Abu Dhabi, I can find, I can find my people. You know, you, you, you said to yourself, you, you called to check on your people. That's because we are the, the survivors of the same shipwreck. You knew what those people were going through in that treatment center by themselves. They were scared right. to death and you right. knew what that felt like. And you wanted to be that hand that reached out to say, someone gave a crap enough to call on her day off to go, how are you? Mm -hmm. That 100%. that is, it, that is not selfish. You, you making that phone call to check on those people was not selfish. That was self care, believe it or not, because it was feeding your soul. Mm -hmm. Right. You had to be flying on cloud nine when you hung up that phone and thought they're tucked in, tucked. You know what I mean? They're tucked in. Yeah. They're okay. They're, then you can move on. That gave you that much more strength. Oh, I just got chills. That much more strength to go on and take on whatever else was coming your way. You know? And isn't that really, isn't that really what, what we need to do? A million times. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for, for sure. And and what, when I say about, you know, when, when someone, because believe it or not, I have heard people that have said, this is my character defect and you just have to accept me the way I am. Okay. I have to accept you the way that you are. Yes. But I do not have to set, accept ill behavior. Mm -hmm. And if, if you are claiming this as your character defect, obviously, I don't know about you, but a defect is something that needs to get fixed. Mm -hmm. And if you know that this is your character defect, mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How's it working out for you? Maybe you're calling it a defect because you even know that you need to fix mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, reaching out and showing people that there's a better way. It, it absolutely, it, when people come in and when people are getting sober, so many people know how to get sober once they've begun the process, you know, but it's that staying, it's that staying that always concerns me because those that don't stay when, when they leave, the chance of them dying is so great. Oh, oh my gosh. I know for me, for me to, to drink again is absolutely 100% to die. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll die there. That's not, that's not a saying in, in, in my experience right. for me to drink right. again is 100% to, to die. And, 
yeah, that's but and and here's what I'm seeing too, Lori, is I'm I'm seeing people not not saying the truth. They're, you know, skirting around certain things. There are some people that can't handle me because I am so now, is my truth the only truth? No. No, no of course of course not. I, I'm it, I'm it can I'm be not, for you. Yeah, I'm not the one. What I know, what I know to be true for my experience. And what I know to be true for observing um, going on 12 years uh, at this gig is that when people get bored, just like in a marriage, you stop doing the things that got you there to begin with. You have stopped doing something. Because like I said, 100% of the time, that person says to you, well, you know, I'm just bored or I quit going. Okay, what, what, what have you stopped doing? Because what happens is we get back into selfish, not self-care. We get back into selfish, and that is just sludge. That's just, that's a gross place to be. When you're that, it's just gross. You you hate yourself. You hate every, whether you're willing to say it or not. That you're, it, most people's experience or, or their, their actions and their words and how they, the, it, it's outwardly just oozes out that toxic self stuff. You know, they quit doing they quit doing what the program prescribed to do. Period. Period. We, and 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 that is our primary purpose. Our primary purpose. One hundred percent. Because I've got the video camera. One hundred percent. Our primary purpose is to stay sober, and help another alcoholic addict. Period. There's no. You can't decorate that. That is. That right. is. It. That is. If you want recovery. That has got to be your primary purpose is to stay sober because you can't give away what you don't have and to help another human being's soul. And you just, you just really touched on something. You cannot give away what you don't have. Mm -mm. Good and bad. Right. (laughs) Right. If I, if I don't have hate and resentment and anger, because honey, I can give that away. I can give mm-hmm. that away. I walk up to a checkout stand and and I'm and I'm and I'm ugly to this checkout person. You think they're going to be kind to the next person or do you think they're going to be oh honey, I can give away bad stuff too. For sure. Oh, mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm getting all comfy now. We're getting in I know, right? Talk, talk. <laughs> I love it. I just love it because it's real. It's just yes, real. It is. And and here's and, and here's the deal, you know, just like I said, there's normies that listen to the show substitute the word alcoholic addict for anger, resentment, fear, anything that keeps your, you from reaching your fullest potential, you know, uh, anxiety, depression. I, I know there's clinical, don't write me letters. I know that there's clinical yeah. depression. I get it. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. Cause in my world, depression is because I didn't get my way in the past or, you know, God didn't do my will and anxiety is that I'm probably not going to get my will or God's not going to let me have my will in the future. That is most of the people I know that is the definition of depression, anxiety. I know that there's clin- clinical. Okay. Just yes, don't. there is clinical. I get and it. let me tell you, let me, let me say for those people that would choose to write those letters, if you have clinical depression and you are choosing to drink, you are making the clinical depression a worse. A million times worse. It is not self-medicating. It is delusional to think that you are actually medicating because you're not medicating. Mm-hmm. A doctor prescribes medication. Mm-hmm. 
If you are using drugs and alcohol illicitly to help with mental health, that is not self-medication. That is a slippery that, slope. That that is going. That's getting high. Right. And it that is changing well. your perception of reality. And and the the bad part about that is is you will have to continue to use more to have that effect because using in the first place continues to grow the depression. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it will just be a vicious cycle. If you are clinically depressed, you need medical right. attention. Medical attention. Absolutely. Thank you for that disclaimer. Thank you for that disclaimer. <laughs> Most of the people I know don't fall into that don't fall into that medical necessity category. It's it is it is a self-inflicted um depression anxiety self 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 right that's right. that's 100. the one place i want nothing to do with i don't want anything to do with myself i don't i don't want any, the the minute i start getting into self honey everybody hates me everybody's against me i just it's oh it's just a nasty place to be you said your you said I, I don't, I can't, I can't quote you on it because I don't know verbatim, but self-care versus selfish are two different things. Right. And I think so often that I'm not going to say specifically women or more often than not women, because that would be unfair. But I hear often when people are being told that they're being selfish, it really, it sometimes a lot of time it is that they need to practice self-care mm -hmm. and because they're told so often about being selfish. And like you said, when we are told we have to be selfish in our program and we can't be selfish here and we can't, you know, that is hard, but I know in our heart of hearts, in our heart of hearts, I call it mind effing mm -hmm. when I, when I continue to try and, rationalize something or something like that we know in our heart of hearts where our intentions truly are where our motivation really is and i think you know you can you can teach a, a parrot the big book you can teach a parrot to recite scripture you can teach them all that stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the person that i want to learn from is the person that i see outside that has all the the prompt the where that where I can visit visually mm -hmm. the promises are coming true in right. their life. Mm -hmm. And I, I have said this before. If I have a hundred thousand dollars and I want to invest it, I'm gonna research who makes money and that's who I'm gonna invest it with. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna invest it with somebody that just shows up and can spout off some Dow Jones and can spout off some this, this right. and this. I'm not going to say, oh, well, you sound really good. You sound intelligent. I'm going to hand you all my money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that the person I'm handing it to has a track record of some quality stuff, you know, and I, I am grateful that in my time of recovery, in my time of being sober, I have sought out those people. I don't go to a lot of meetings anymore. But I am involved in so many other things that feed my recovery mm -hmm. that I will continue on that path. I um, I head up uh, meetings for our county jail. Um, so I do attend meetings there. 
Uh, there is a, a weekly meeting that I like to get to when I can. When I travel, I like to go to meetings. As a matter of fact, I just was um, in Poughkeepsie, New York, and I had a couple days extra, and I thought, you know, I'm going to drive out to Vermont and go see where um, Bill Wilson lived. Mm -hmm. So I went to his birthplace, and I went to his grave, and I attended a meeting there. You know, I am I am in recovery, and I am going to continue to feed my recovery. But I'm going to do that with a purpose now of helping the other person. Mm -hmm. It's not just because I want to continue to, how do I say this correctly? I'm always in danger of relapse because I am the person that I am. But I know today that I am not going to drink because I am the person that I am. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that little saying that, you know, your disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups, you know, kind of thing oh, sure. is, is a true statement because we do, we, you know, I think, I think when a lot, when a lot of people get into trouble as well, Lori, is when they get away from the one day at a time, you know, when, when it's like, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be sober tomorrow. I hope I am. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty damn confident I'm going to be sober today. Right. And, and mm -hmm. it, you know, if, if you expand, which my higher power, I choose to go, call God as well. If you expand past that, it's give us this day, right. our daily, not give us this week, our weekly, give us this month, our monthly. It's give us, you know, God only said, nah, 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 to one day, one day, that's it. Right. That's all you got. And we, I, we, I, I know I can speak for 99.999% of us, you know, and, and in our, in our literature too, it says that one is God. May you find him. What is that now? The one place I never am. I'm ne I'm never, that's the one place I never am. I'm, I'm never in the now. Cause even, even, even just sitting here with you a minute ago, I'm, I just had an, oh crap moment. Who did I forget for? I didn't mean to, but who did I forget for Chris? Oh, I need to get him Chris. It, I mean, it was a fleeting thought, but I sometimes all the time I fly away in the now, you know, and it takes something sure. and it's such a damn shame. I'm better. I'm much better than what I used to be much better. But, but that, that now you know, I have to pull myself back because I want to be here with you. I want to, I want to be, be creating something that possibly God's going to use to save another one of his kids in the now. Now is this opportunity. And I very seldom am in the now. That one is God. May you find him now. You know, and, and we, I try to make things so complicated you know, that it, Gosh. I, I can remember, you know, because I, I, I was going to meetings for a good, uh, six months before my final, uh, hoorah. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a smart person. I can read what's up on the wall, those steps. I'm, you know, I, I don't need someone to walk me through them. I mean, I guess you, maybe you need a, you know, a sponsor. So I'm obviously, I didn't, I didn't do the program as the program was prescribed and I, it almost killed me, you know? Um, it, it, but it was one of those things where it was, it was like, 
you people cannot possibly be an alcoholic the way I am if you just think that this little this little blue book right here, you know, is going to save me. I need a medical procedure. I need a team of medical doctors, a cocktail of medical pills. I, I need something much grander than a little blue book, right? And, 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 a, and a, whoever the sponsor thing is. You know, it was you're the best at being bad. Yeah, it was well, and it was it was it was just too simple. There was no possible way. How how could there? You know, I just I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, because I just I have to complicate things. Keep it simple, stupid is you know another another thing we. That's a true statement. Just stop Mm -hmm. it. Just stop it. Right. You know. Right. It just stop. And I, 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 it still amazes me today. And I don't ever want it to not amaze me. You know, how simple and, and just beautiful the do working a program is. It, it just, when you, when you, how simple and beautiful it is to get out of yourself, which and is the what the program Yes. Oh my gosh. Good and bad. I was having to talk with a, 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 a friend earlier too, a, a, you know, be, you know, going into four and, and then you get to eight, nine, you know, you feel like you're just beating the crap out of your, no, no, no. Tell me now, tell me some things that are good about you. Right. What do you love? What do you, right. what's your passion? What's, right. it's not all bad, bad, bad. You got to, sometimes you got to cl- take out the trash to see what's underneath beautiful, you know? Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's this is not a program where we just beat the crap out of you and and go don't drink. You know, the the discovery so many here's the deal, here's the deal. I discovered I like me. Yeah, I take vacations by myself, girl. Can can you imagine? <laughs> And seriously, when you think about it, think of all the normies that you know in your life that would that would be comfortable enough with themselves to do something like that. Very to so go out to dinner by yourself. Oh, that's huge. Go see a movie by yourself. That's huge. You get to have the popcorn any way you want it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's just it's such a beautiful life on this side of it. You know, it's, it's such a beautiful life and I could lose it in a heartbeat if I stopped doing the things that got me here to begin with, period. And that, see, and that, that is the part where, and that's what I, that was literally why I started the, the, the stuff in which I'm, I'm doing now because I, my coach, I literally went up to her after a conference and I said, why aren't we teaching this to people? Why aren't we teaching this to people? And and why I say complacency kills, you know, because, okay, people get sober, people get clean, and then they stop. It's not that they stop going to meetings. It's that they stop believing that there's actually more, mm-hmm. that they don't realize that they can have all that stuff that you think, you know, you make make a list of everything that you want. Make that vision board of the stuff that you want. You really can have those things. Mm-hmm. They're attainable. And it's it's like people just kind of give up on their dreams. And to dream while I'm in sobriety is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Because only is it a dream, but I can make that shit happen. 
But there's foundational work that has to be in place Absolutely. to build that on. If you haven't built a solid foundation, anything you add to a crumbly foundation is just going to yep. just going to fall apart. You know, one hundred percent. But don't you think that to keep those dreams alive, you've ha- you've got that foundation, mm-hmm. and to continue building on, mm-hmm. isn't it? Doesn't it just make make it that much more appealing mm-hmm. to stay in? recovery because you know that you can have that much more i just think people get sober and they stop right and i i that breaks my heart because there is so much more well and it's, and see Lori, that's exactly what you're describing though is the difference between being sober and in right. recovery in recovery right. you're giving it away you're giving you know p- people don't people don't come into the program realizing i don't sponsor you yeah, for you. Okay. I get way more out of sponsoring another woman than she ever gets from me. Mm-hmm. I get way more out of doing this podcast than the person listening or watching ever will get out of it because it mm-hmm. keeps me in recovery so that I, the next, you know, in the next moment, I can maybe be of service some more. I mean, it's, it's feeding my soul and making me stronger. Right. That's not selfish. That's this is self care to me, honey. Talking to another alcoholic addict and, and, and about our common, you know, our common problems and our co- our common solutions. Man, gosh, dog, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced mm-hmm. of it. I have I have found that my purpose is to continue to try to give it away. That's exactly it. And what if? Other people found their purpose, mm-hmm. you know, because you have your purpose in this and your purpose drove you to being, to doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. I have, I have always felt that my purpose is in counseling. So I became a substance abuse counselor. I was working in a methadone clinic, couldn't do the hours, getting up at three o'clock in the morning to get there. So it could open at five. And I kept seeing people come in that just weren't, weren't in that, you know, they want, they wanted to want it. And it was just like, okay, if you can at least visualize a life that you would actually drink, what is that? You know, there's no normal for anybody. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I, 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 I don't want to think this, but but experience and, and what I have watched happen tells me this, that if you haven't reached some level of gift of desperation, it's a real thing. That gift of mm-hmm. desperation is a real thing. That is usually the catalyst or the, the spark that starts the change, the real change, mm-hmm. right? And, there, and it's so different. It's so different for, well, like, like my bottom. Right. I wasn't in a it was car nothing accident. like mine. Right. I didn't lose somebody. I none of that happened. I, at that particular moment, my bottom was just that realization mm-hmm. that this has such a hold on me. Even past the realization, it, it the, the way at least you described that moment of looking at that beer while everybody was out dancing was almost a, a point of surrender. You surrendered to it. Yes. You were yes. like, I recognize you're the boss and beer, alcohol, yes. drugs, you're the boss. And mm, I don't want that boss anymore. Yeah. I don't want to work for you no more. 
That was a, that was a surrender and an acceptance that happened there, mm-hmm. which is the same. It, it, yeah, my, mine's decorated a little bit differently. Same feeling of just right. being sick and tired of sick and tired, and I was I, I was sick of me. I was done. You know, I was done. I was nowhere near the kind of person. I was the kind of person I talked crap about. Ugh, it was, yeah, yeah, I was, it was, I was gross. I was a liar. I was, I, I was manipulative. And I wasn't a liar and manipulative because I was a liar and manipulative. I was a liar and manipulative because I was sick. I had a mm-hmm. disease, a spiritual malady that was killing me. And there is a solution. Tell people how, I'm so glad you're sober. I'm so glad that you're in recovery. Me I'm too. Just, I'm so glad. Me too. And everybody that I come in contact should be glad. <laughs> yeah, ditto. <laughs> ditto, because you wouldn't want me, Nani. I would, yeah, you wouldn't want to know me. Tell people how they can find you or get in touch with you. Um. Okay, so my Facebook, Lori Blank. Um. My, I have, I literally hyphenate Lori Sheets Blank. S-H-E-E-T-Z, and then blank, like a blank sheet of paper. First name is L-O-R-I. Find me on Facebook. Uh, DM me. I am going to try to get a website um, started up sometime in January. Um, send me a message. I do free consults right off the get-go. Um, because, oh, I just saw the time. Because, like I said, my my heart is for the person that's in recovery that is still suffering. Amen. There are so many of us out there and it doesn't have to be that way. And for those that aren't in recovery and they're suffering, man, there's a better life. Well, including, that. including family members, you know, Al-Anon is, is a beauty, it's not my program, but it's a beautiful program for family. It helps save my husband. Well, I should be too, but I love hanging with my people. <laughs> I love the, I love the AAs, but I'll definitely, yeah, I qualify pretty much for every ism that there is out there, mm-hmm. but Al-Anon is a beautiful program for family members. It, is. it, it really helps save Rick's life. You can hear his, um, his share. I think it's on episode three. So, um, or something like that. Go back and look. But anyway, thank you so much for, for being thank here. Thank you. Um, happy holidays. Um, to you. Yeah. I just, this I'm will so air grateful. after the holidays. So yeah. Yeah. Well, start happy off, holidays anyway. Start happy off 24 with a, with a bang. There you go. That's right. Thank you for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network 